Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the, son of the, uh, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other we're going to do a little bit of studying today and get into this, and we'll wait for Brian and Kathy to show up, our missionary friends from Honduras, and I uh, can't m- w- wait to meet them face-to-face. They are definitely our brother and sister, and uh, we're kind of same tribe, no doubt about it. But I wanted to talk about the harvest today, at least in part. And most of you know that there is a great harvest that is coming at the end of the age, and, you know, people say right now that we're looking for a revival and we're, there's going to be a great harvest of souls. And, and everybody has their right to believe that. And we look for that biblically. What we find in the scriptures right now is that we don't see as much as a harvest uh, as we do a falling away. And we can talk about that. But that does not negate 
that there actually will be a harvest. As a matter of fact, I just read in Matthew chapter 24 that he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together. That is a farming term right there, gathering together the harvest, gathering together the people. And so, and they will, these that are being gathered together, here's the key. It is the elect that are being gathered together. Now, how do you know someone is elect? What does it mean to be elect or selected? I mean, if you're a farmer and you're going into your field and you are going to select what you're going to reap, what you're going to gather together, there must be something to what you're gathering together. Okay, so uh, just I want to lightly take this and I want to shift back to Matthew chapter 13. Talk a little bit about it. Matthew chapter 13. And we start with a parable, and the parable we'll do is, let's go to uh, verse 1, verse 1. So Matthew 13, verse 1, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship, he sat And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spoke many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And then we know that parable, okay? We know the parable of the seed by the wayside and and all of these things. And he talks about the soils of the heart. So he said the the sower went forth to sow. So it's a farming term, a term. When he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. This is key to understanding what we're talking about today. Okay, so the parable of the sower, we know that the seed went forth, the word went forth, people received it, but some received it on the wayside, some received it in the stony ground, some received it, and uh, the, the word was choked. And then other of that seed, that gospel, that word of God fell into good ground, and it brought forth fruit. And some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30, Who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the disciples came and said unto him, Why do you speak unto them in parables? And then Jesus answers their question, and it's a beautiful answer to the question. Everybody should read verses 11 all the way through 17. And then he gives the parable, the meaning of the parable in verse 18. He said, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. So the word can go forward, but there's a lack of understanding of the meaning of that word. And so it gets lost, and the birds of the air come and they snatch it away. It was there, but it was taken away. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that hears the word and anon with joy receives it, yet hath he not root in himself, but doors for a while. 
For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. So here we have a heart that has stones in it, a heart that has the rock of offense, if you will, or little stones of offense. And because of those areas in the heart that have not been dealt with, plowed up and taken away, the word of God goes into that person's life, but it often lands upon the bitter root or, you know, the stony ground of offense or whatever it is. But here it's definitely offended. And that spirit of offense will not allow the word of God to go down into the good soil and produce what God is really looking for. And so for a while, it's very joyful. They get the word. But as soon as tribulation or persecution rises, they are offended by the word of God and for the word of God. So that's not going to produce fruit. Verse 22, Matthew 13. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he that received seed into the good ground. Okay, so here we're talking about the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. This is a problem. So the word of God goes in, but there are cares, there are concerns, there are desires for wealth, whatever. And when those things are first, it literally chokes the word of God and they do not produce fruit. Now, he closes it out by saying, um, and, and he, uh, but he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands with all, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. So the parable is explained. We're talking very specifically about a harvest, okay? We talk about an end-time harvest, and I believe there is an end-time harvest. I do not believe necessarily we are in that harvest that the Bible actually speaks about. I believe that probably from generation to generation, there are those who have been reaped into the kingdom, you know, in the last 2,000 years of the church age who were fruitful in their lives. There's no doubt about that. But I also know that in the last days, rather than a, a gathering before the Son of Man returns in the time of the signs of the end, that more than a harvest, there is a falling away. So we, I want to go a little bit deeper into this parable. In verse 24, there's another parable Jesus teaches, and I'm talking about gathering together, a farming term. Okay, it's a term where farmers will go when their, when their fields are ripe and they're going to reap the, the, what, what is in there, okay? They're going to reap it. So another parable in verse 24 of Matthew 13, Jesus put forth, and he said this, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did not you sow good seed in your field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. So it wasn't time for the harvest of the wheat yet. Let both grow together until 
the harvest. Ah, the harvest. Okay, so now we're talking about a biblical harvest. So let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So that's when he's going to send forth the reaping angels. Now, in verse 37, Jesus is going to explain the parable. This has everything to do with our walk with the Lord. Uh, by the way, for those of you waiting for Brian and Kathy, so am I. Uh, they are to be with me today from Honduras. They said the only way they would never be on is if a third world outage took place. So I don't know if that's actually happened. I want to check my uh, text messages here real quick. Stop two minutes. So that's not it. So hopefully we're moving forward here and, and going live. I think we're doing good. So we're going to hope for Kathy and, and Brian to join us. And uh, just a quick check. Are we doing good on blog talk? Are we coming through on Facebook, YouTube? Some thumbs up would be perfect. So I'm going to continue on in verse 37 of Matthew because we're getting to a point here that I think is very important for the times that we're living in. So in Matthew 13, 37, Jesus said unto them, because in 36, it says that uh, when he sent the multitude away and went into the house, his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So Jesus said unto them, in verse 37, He that sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Praise the Lord. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Okay, this is going to connect to Matthew 24, that immediately after the tribulation, there's going to be a sound of a trumpet. God's, Jesus is going to send the angels. They're going to gather together or reap the wheat, the elect of God at that time. So we have some time frame here. Verse 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world, the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So what is this parable? What is this parable? It's about a harvest. And in Matthew 24, we know that Jesus will send forth his angels to gather his elect. Now, when I think of elect in context of scripture, and we have more scripture we're going to get into, I think about a people who have borne an image that their election, in other words, is not just in word only, but they have become the wheat. That is to be gathered into the barn. Wheat always represents a kind of people. We know that tares, they stand straight up, okay? And we know that they resemble wheat very much so. That's why in the parable he said, well, don't pull the tares out because you're going to uproot the wheat because they dwell together. So 
Tares are a kind of people. Wheat represent a kind of people. Now, there's not a harvest until they come to maturity. And when the wheat comes to maturity, it bows down. When the tares come to maturity, they stand up. And so now it's easier to identify the tares to get them out, burn them up, bundle them in the fire, and then reap the wheat. Okay, this is important. So tares represent a kind of people, and wheat represents a kind of people. There's a harvest coming in the economy of the kingdom to reap the wheat, the wheat harvest. We know in Matthew 24 that immediately after the tribulation is when Jesus will send the angels to reap the wheat. Okay, there's a reaping that's going to happen. So, why is this important? What exactly will the Lord come to reap? And we say, well, Christians. And I say, not so. He's not coming to reap Christians unless Christians have become Christ-like. Okay, because we could call ourselves Christians and not produce the fruit of Christ-likeness. Okay, so if he's going to gather together his elect, the elect are the mature, chosen, selected wheat harvest. And what is that harvest? Well, the Bible is very clear that the harvest is, number one, he's going to come and reap the harvest of righteousness. You see, the fruit of righteousness, the Bible talks about the fruit of righteousness, is is sown in them that make peace. It's in the word of God. So the fruit of righteousness, in them who sow peace. So what is he looking for in the wheat? What kind of nature, what kind of character, what kind of conduct will the wheat harvest be? Well, they will be righteous, not in word, but in action, in deed, in conduct. In other words, the elect of God that will be reaped immediately after the tribulation will be those who will have endured to the end and have produced a righteousness that has directed their conduct. Let's go a little farther. The next thing that he's looking for in his harvest at the end of the world is the harvest of fruitfulness. He is going to reap the wheat people, if you will, who produce the fruit of the Spirit. And we all know what Galatians chapter 5 says, that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and patience, self-control. All right, so there's a particular fruit of the Spirit. Now, that fruit is the actual character of a person's life. That fruit of the Spirit is the living proof that one is truly sealed with the Spirit of God. If a person walks around in anger, frustration, worldliness, um, you know, all these different attitudes that are not consistent, uh, that is a very dangerous thing because there's got to be proof in the pudding. There's got to be fruit in an individual's life. Now, do people go in and out? Yes, they do. People walk in the Spirit for a moment, and suddenly they're back in the flesh. They walk in the Spirit. They're producing fruit. They're working it out. And then they get into some situation and it produces maybe carnal thinking, maybe carnal actions, maybe uh, fleshly attitudes. And so as long as that battle is going on, because it says there's a war between the flesh and the spirit, you know, this is the critical battle that goes on in every true believer as we are being transformed and brought into a brand new image. So understand this, 
that every time you and I produce the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, we do what the fruit of the Spirit does, we choose to love, we choose joy, we choose peace, we choose patience, we choose gentleness, goodness, kindness, we choose faithfulness, we choose it, and it is a choice, and it is in us, but it's not a magic wand, so it is a, it is a decision of what I'm going to yield to, who I'm going to yield to. Am I going to yield to my flesh, like Romans chapter 6, or am I going to yield to the Spirit? Well, the believer will yield to the Spirit, and by yielding to the Spirit, the fruit will produce and if there's no obstacle there, then you will have a fruitful being. Now, there could be something in there, and on with joy, they hear the word of God, but the rocks of offense are there. So the plowing of Jeremiah chapter 4, plow up, you know, the soil of your heart. Get the rocks out of your soil. Get the weeds out of your soil, the cares of the world, offenses, fear, whatever it is, misunderstandings. You've got to study, seek, show yourself approved. So he's coming for a fruit of fruitfulness or a harvest of fruitfulness in the life of a believer, which is the character of Christ. The wheat people are those who produce the character of Christ in their life. They also produce in that character the likeness of Christ, the likeness of Christ. All right, so I'm still not seeing Brian and Kathy. I'm, I, I don't know where they are, but maybe they're working it out. Maybe it's a power outage. I don't even see them on the chat room right now. So we're going to get in our little Bible study. We'll keep going forward. So let me ask you a question right now. How important is it to you to be fruitful in your walk with Jesus? How important is it for you to be able to measure yourself, to measure yourself to the Word of God, to monitor yourself? to make sure that you are consistently and constantly producing good fruit. And when the flesh begins to take you in another direction to resist that and to yield and to struggle and to strive against going back into the flesh, getting back into fearful thinking, stinking thinking, uh, getting into all that negativity in the mind that is contrary to the purpose of God. How important is it to you in, the, in, in this time? And remember, this harvest is coming at the end of the age. This harvest is coming at immediately after the tribulation. The harvest in the end of the world, not that there haven't been many harvests in the last 2,000 years of the church age, there has been, but the Bible we're reading right now is about the end of the world, the time where Jesus returns and he sends his angels and he gathers together his elect and he gathers out the wicked, right? So how important is it to you and I to not say I'm a Christian, uh, not pretend I'm a Christian, but purposefully and intentionally yielding and practicing the presence of God, putting the fruit of the Spirit, smiling, get the joy of the Lord inside my heart. How important is it to be kind and to be gentle, having our conversation seasoned with salt that it may give grace to the hearer? Okay, this is important stuff. And if you or I hear things coming out of our mouth that is not seasoned with salt, that does not give grace to the hearer. There's something coming out of our belly. There's something in there. And we should be very cautious about what that is because it may be a stumbling block, a rock of offense, a stone of offense. It may be fear that will choke the word of God or worry or care or concern for everything and anything that is going on in the world today. So how important is the harvest? Again, 
There is an end time harvest, and that harvest is the fruit of the Spirit in us, which translates the character of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the likeness of Christ. And so one of my favorite passages to show Christians that their destination is not a geographical place called heaven is found in Romans chapter 8. And I think this is really important. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to pick it up. I'm just going to pick it up in verse 26, okay? Verse 26. And here's what we read. Likewise, and and let me say this quietly again right now. Likewise, as I'm ready to read this, we are focusing on ourselves as believers, Christians, followers of Christ, to make sure that our internal reality is fruitful with a character and a conduct, okay? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Word of God that went inside of us and is producing a nature. Let me say it this way. Jesus Christ, according to Galatians chapter 3, is the promised seed. He's the seed. Now, because he's a seed, we know that in every seed, there is fruit. There's something in a seed. Now, if Christ is the seed, that means when his seed is planted in the good soil of our hearts, that that seed must produce after its kind. And if Christ is the seed, then the seed going into the good soil of one's heart must produce Christ because every seed produces after its kind. In Galatians 3, Christ is the seed. We are born again, not of the seed of our fathers, but incorruptible seed, the incorruptible word of God. So the word of God, Christ, the living word of God, sown into the good soil of our heart, must produce Christ likeness, okay? That's really important to understand about our walk with the Lord. It's not about going to heaven. Here's the proof. So, Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what the mind or what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that great news? It certainly is. Verse 28. And here's why you could quote this scripture confidently because the Spirit is making intercession with groanings and utterances that, uh, that we cannot utter, right? So, and that's why in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Okay, this is more important. I'm telling you, this is more important than anything going on in the news today or in the world today. What we're talking about right now has higher value than everything else going on in the world today. Now, listen carefully. You know that all things are working together for good in your life because you love God because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is making intercession for you, 
according to the will of God to bring you to the place that God wills for you. So you have a helper who's helping you, in other words, right? But now he says this in verse 29. Or that he said to them who are the called according to his purpose. So the latter part of verse 28, to them that love God, all things work together for good, to them who are the called according to purpose. So the calling upon your life is with a purpose. When God called you, the day he knocked on the door of your heart, he called you with a purpose in mind, God's will, God's purpose. He called you into his purpose. What is that purpose? Well, here it is. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, that means you were foreknown by God, and that's why he knew exactly when to knock on the door of your heart. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, all right? So you have been predestinated. So God knew you, all right? He foreknew you, and he already had a destination for you, and he has a purpose within that destination. So what is the predestination? You don't have to figure it out. You see, the good news about following Christ, we don't have to figure anything out. He already foreknew us. He already had a purpose for us, and he already did predestinate us. But what is that predestination? Destination means arrival at something. So what is it? He also did predestinate us, whom he called, who he foreknew, to be conformed to the image of his son. So the destination of your life, because God called you, you didn't call him, he chose you, you didn't choose him, because God called you, because God foreknew you, he also had a destination in mind for you that will be achieved by the Spirit's intercession and our cooperation with God. We don't have to figure anything out. And now we know that the destination of every believer who has been called, by God, is to be conformed into or conformed to the image of his son. That's it. You see, this is what God is going to reap at the end of the world. The great end time harvest is not coming for a quantity. God is not looking for quantity. He's looking for quality, quality of character, quality of fruitfulness, quality of his image. And he has sent his spirit, he has sent his son into this world, and for 2,000 years during the church age particularly, he has been knocking on the door of people's lives of men and women's hearts all over the world for 2,000 years. And he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will open unto me, I will come into him and sup with him, right? And so God is knocking on the door of your heart because he foreknew you, and he predestinated when he sits down and sups with you, he's exchanging communion with you. 
He's conversing with you. He's unveiling to you. He's revealing to you. I called you with a purpose because I foreknew you that you are going to produce an image of Christ's likeness. So in other words, heaven is not the destination of the Christian believer. Being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, that's very powerful. You say, well, how does this happen? Well, obviously, it's God's original intent, not yours, not mine. So if God intends for this to happen and purposes for this to happen, well, he's got to make it happen because you and I, there's no way that you and I could do this. We cannot conform ourselves into the image. That's impossible in our own strength or abilities. No way that is going to happen. So we do not tell God that's never going to happen because I can't do it. We come into agreement with what God says he can do, and we allow him to do it by his spirit. Now, how does it work? Well, that's, that's amazing. I want to get back to the image of his son. That is so important about the image, because this is what the Apostle Paul was teaching all believers, that the destination is the image. Now, we're going to talk about that image in a moment. How does he do this? It says that for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, the son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he's, he's equating himself. He's allowing himself to be integrated with his brethren who are like him. Saying you're a Christian and not producing the fruit, not producing the image, not producing the character, not producing the fruit, does not qualify one to be a brethren. It says very clearly that he would be the firstborn among many brethren who have been conformed into his image. Okay? Moreover, here's how he does it. All right? Here's how he does it. Whom he did predestinate. So let me just talk to you. Did God call you at some time in your life? Yes, he did. Did God foreknow you before he called you? Yes, he did. Did God send his spirit into your life to begin to make intercession for you, to bring you to the Father's will, which is to be conformed into the image? Yes, he did. Now, those he did foreknow, or those whom he did predestinate to be conformed, them he also called so let's look at it this way. You don't even exist right now. Take you and I out of the equation. God is. Now here we are, billions of people on the planet in our generation. God foreknew you. You're born, you're here, you came in, white, red, black, yellow, green, good side of the tracks, bad side of the tracks, whatever. It doesn't matter. You got here. You're in the world. You're breathing. You're animated. You're a living soul. Here you are. But God knew you from before the foundation of the world. And so God has a plan for you. God has a destination for you. God wants to do something with your life. He wants to do something. So at the right time, God comes knocking on the door of your life. And he calls you. He initiates relationship with you. At some moment, your mind wakes up to a reality. 
So the Bible says that whom he did predestinate, them he also called. So you've been called. He's got to call you. And we say, yeah, hi, God. Yeah, I'm all in here. I'm opening the door. Jesus, come on in. I get it. You preached the gospel. You called me. I'm in. I open the door. Now, whom he called, them he also justified. The first step after opening the door and receiving the calling of God upon our lives is to take the next step, which is those he called, them he also justified. The first step in your journey is justification. That means if God is going to conform you into his image, if that's the destination he has for you, the first thing he has to do after your acceptance of his call is he has to wipe out all the sin in your life that is an offense to him. So the way that God did this was by the work of his son on the cross. In Romans chapter 5, we are justified by faith. And we are justified by his blood. So the first step in the journey of a Christian, a follower, a chosen vessel, a called vessel, a predestinated vessel, is to be fully emancipated, fully and completely justified from all sin, past, present, and future. Justification. Just as though I've never sinned. In other words, God receives you just as though you've never sinned because you accepted the call, you received the atonement, you accepted the blood that purges and cleanses and washes, and you have done this by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. God has given you the gift of justification. He has wiped your slate clean. So that means when one receives that, the accuser can no longer really have access. So your journey begins with justification after you receive the call. Because if that justification does not take place, God cannot proceed in bringing us to our destination. Too many Christians today have yet cashed in on the justification that they have before the throne of God. They still carry around the weight of their past. They're still carrying around the shame of their past. They still believe that what they did is who they are. This is not true. This is a lie. This is a deception. But it is a battle of the mind. And the more deeply one has been engaged in sin, the enemy has a stronger hold. But, Jesus said, those who have been forgiven much love much. So whatever you have done, whether much or little, you are forgiven. And this is justification. You are forgiven before the legal throne of God, which means because you've received and accepted the justification through what Christ has done, you can now boldly access the very presence of God, the very throne of God. You are no longer guilty. You are no longer ashamed or condemned, and the wrath of God no longer abides on you, and condemnation has been taken away. Why is that important? Because if this is not a reality, now, 
Justification doesn't mean I'm forgiven, so I'm always going to be forgiven, so I'll keep on sinning. No, that would undermine the purpose. The purpose of being justified from all that's done and given the power of the Holy Spirit to no longer walk in sin, that's what's bringing us to the purpose and the calling and the destination to be conformed into the image. If a person carries a mindset, well, I'm justified by faith and I'm saved by grace, therefore I continue to sin, that actually undermines the calling to be conformed to the image. So justification not only eradicates the sin that we have committed, but and if any man fall or sin, we have an advocate with the Father, that justification continues to work in our lives all the time. So justification is just the first step after receiving the calling. There is a second step, and it's not mentioned in Romans chapter 8, but in other places in the Bible, this, the second step is to understand that after being justified by his blood, after being justified by faith, now the journey of sanctification begins. The journey of sanctification. You and I know that we are people that are bringing in a lot of damage. We're bringing in a lot of corruption. I mean, we're bringing in a lot of junk. And so even though we're justified and we're forgiven and our conscience is clear before God, and now, we're, now we begin the journey of walking in a sanctified life, meaning that the Holy Ghost, okay, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is now at work with our born-again spirit leading us, guiding us, directing us to do the things that are right, and that produces sanctification. In other words, we're being brought into something far from where we were when we were called. In, in, in other words, the old man the corrupt man, the defiled, depraved, human-natured man. The Spirit takes us in another direction so that we no longer operate out of that old hard drive of the human nature. We have been given a brand-new hard drive in the Holy Spirit, and now he's teaching us how to operate out of that because we have already been justified. So there's no legal mandate from God that demands that you continue to live out of an old human nature. The commandment of God is to put off the old man, put on the new man. The way you do that is no longer pay attention to the old nature, but keep pressing on with the new nature, which the Holy Spirit on the inside of you brings you to when you're cognizant of the Spirit's direction. Okay? The next thing now. So we know we have the calling. We have the justification upon those who have been predestinated and foreknown. And now we know we have sanctification. It's a lifelong journey. It's a working out day by day. But then it leads somewhere. The rest of a Christian's life of sanctification is only going to produce what? What does the calling, the justification, the sanctification produce? Well, here it is. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And, wh and whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Glorified. In other words, through the calling, through justification, through sanctification, comes glorification. And the only way to really describe the doxa, the glory, the praise, the worship, the colors of a new creation species is to understand that we have arrived at our destination. 
Glorification is the arrival of the destination which is being conformed into the image of the glorified one. In other words, you have come to fruitfulness. Now you're ready to be harvested at the end of the world. Hallelujah. Glorification is a uh, a product of justification, sanctification that has produced an inward transformation into what? Well, the only way to really understand this is let's go back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. This is so important for our understanding. And again, this is God's will. So I just want to read three verses in Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. And here's what it says. God, I love how it starts with God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. So his Son is the heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Thus the worlds were made by the Son, who being, listen, the brightness of his glory. So Yeshua, the Son, is the brightness of the glory of God, who being Jesus, being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. Who is Jesus? He is the express image of God's personality, God's character, God's nature. That's who Jesus is. He is exact likeness. He's oneness. He's natured. He's one natured. Jesus is the exact express image of God's person. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Okay? And when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So here's what I want you to know. Jesus is the express image of God's personality, his character, nature, conduct, all that God is. You and I, according to Romans chapter 8, are being conformed into his image. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now let's explain what liberty is. Here it is. Here's the liberty that the spirit produces. But we all, with unveiled faces or open face, beholding as in a mirror or a glass the glory of the Lord. So we're looking in the mirror and we're beholding the glory of the Lord. Watch. Are changed, are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. 
Did you hear that? The mirror that you and I are looking into, according to the book of James, is the word of God. The mirror that you and I are looking into, and that is reflecting into us, is the word of God. Let's find that in the book of James. So in the book of James, it might take me just a moment. I want this to see law. I really want this to get into your spirit right now because this is the harvest at the end of the world. What is he coming to harvest? His image, his likeness in a people called wheat who have come to glorification, maturity. Remember, the only time the farmer harvests is when the crops come to maturity, when they come to fullness. It's foolishness for a farmer to reap a field that has not yet ripened. So the ripening of the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives is what he's going to reap immediately after the tribulation. Do you think maybe that the tribulation is going to serve the purpose of God in bringing some people to maturity and fruition and Christ-likeness through what they're going to go through? For it is through much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of God. Well, that's another part of this study, but let's go here. He talks about looking into a mirror. It says in James chapter 1, in verse 22, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself, goes his way, straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into, listen, but whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What is the perfect law of liberty? Let's put it together. Listen. So here you are walking down the street. You don't know God from Adam. You don't know anything. You know a little bit about, you know, your concepts, ideas about God. You don't know the true and living God by the word of the Lord and by the spirit of the Lord. But he knows you. He knew you before the foundation of the world. And at some point in your life, he called you. You don't know this, but when he called you, he had an intention. It was purposeful. And his intention and purpose was to take your life and to conform it into the image of his son. You don't know that up front. All you know is that when he knocked on the door and the gospel was presented, you saw your unworthiness, your guiltiness, your brokenness, your shame, your condemnation. I mean, you don't know what God's original intention is immediately. You don't understand it, but he knows. And so he comes because he's looking for material. He needs a body. He needs a person. So he reaches out all over the world, but the day came he knocked at your door. He called you. You answered the call. What he did? He said, okay, you've admitted your guiltiness, your sin. You know you're broken. You're condemned. 
but I'm a God of restoration, and I've done something for you. I have sent my son, who is the express image of my person, to die as a perfect sacrifice for you. And by his death, I'm justifying you. I'm going to treat you just as though you've never sinned. I want you to receive that. I'm going to emancipate you. I'm going to clear you of all guilt, shame, condemnation. I'm going to remove the death sentence from you. I'm emancipating you. I have paid the price for you. I'm justifying you. I'm going to fill you now with my Holy Spirit, who's been working to bring you to me. And my Holy Spirit is going to be an active force within your life to walk walk you through the process of sanctification throughout your life. But I want you to know that ultimately, at the end of the age, this sanctification is going to produce glorification. It's going to mature you. You see, anybody that has a gospel thought that the justification and the sanctification of the Spirit is so that we can continue to sin to go to heaven has lost sight of the true purpose of being conformed into the image. When heaven becomes one's goal, they've lost the true meaning of God's purpose. Because somebody that understands the ultimate purpose of God to be conformed into the image of the Son will never use justification and sanctification or the grace of God to continue to sin a lukewarm lifestyle. They would know that's an offense to the purpose. This is what God's doing in your life. Will heaven become a reality for us? Absolutely. But what is Jesus coming to harvest? The wheat. And when will he harvest the wheat? When it's fully developed, when it's ripe, when it's full and mature and complete and really cannot grow anymore. And at that moment, he's going to send his angels. Now, we know scripturally this harvest is after the tribulation. Now, maybe from generation to generation prior to the great tribulation in the last days, there was a work of the Spirit, and people personally, we've never heard their names. We don't know who they are, little grandmas, little you know, wives that were cooking soup for the family. But they worked out a salvation that brought them to maturity and their love and affection for God. And you know that that wheat ultimately is the final production of a life that is full of the love of God, right? We know that. The end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart. So wheat is fruitful, which is the fruit of the Spirit, is love. And love carries everything else within it. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, kind, all the good, gentleness, good stuff. It all, it's all there. It's all connected. At the end of the world, after the tribulation, the trumpet will sound. He'll send his angels to gather together the harvest. Not of a quantity of people that go to church but the quality of those men and women who have come to fullness in Christ. Well, what about the others? See, I could also further look at something. Let's look at something in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14. You see, so many people have thought this, and I, and I do want to express this. I want you to know something about and, I, and I'm sorry to do this, I apologize, but 
the man that's sitting in front of you, okay? Um, 39 years ago, when I was uh, a 19-year-old young man, 39 years ago, I was broken. I'd been to 15 different elementary schools. I had been to seven different high schools. I never graduated. I started using drugs. I was a fornicator. I was a liar. I was a thief. I was a drunkard. I had no stability in my life. And at the age of 19, after experiencing a ton of stuff in my life, God called me. He knocked on the door of my heart. I accepted the call. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And God began a journey with me. If I would have thought at that time that I could be conformed or that I was going to be conformed into the image of God at that moment, I would have had to stop and say, well, that's impossible. But that was never my thought. I began to study scripture and I found out that God doesn't want us to sin, but I didn't even know what that really meant. We're not supposed to sin. We don't have to sin. It was a great message, but I really didn't understand it because I was a sinner. Okay. What has happened over 39 years in my life as I have yielded to the Holy Spirit and have trusted the word of God to be true and believed and have allowed faith to access this, what we're talking about today is I'm yielding and trusting the Spirit of God in me to do this work. If someone had told me 39 years ago, hey, Vincent, you're now saved. You're going to heaven. And now again, you have to understand, I was saved, but I was still broken, full of sin. The idea was you're saved, you're going to heaven. And so regardless of how you live, as long as you believe, you're always going to be a sinner. If I had heard that message, you're always going to be a sinner. I cannot imagine that God would have been able to produce his purpose, his willful intent in my life. Because I would have had theology, no one's perfect. We're all going to sin, et cetera, et cetera. And I would have never begun the journey of sanctification, understanding my justification, and I never would have striven to yield to the Holy Spirit's power in my life to become. We are bought with a price. I believe that. That's the Bible. We have been purchased with blood of Jesus Christ. God bought me. God bought you. He bought you. He literally purchased you from a previous owner, Satan, the devil, because he was the God of this world and we did whatever he told us to do, Ephesians 2. But God bought us. And when he bought us, he didn't buy us because we were shiny on a brand new, you know, showcase with lights all around us, how perfect we were. He bought us very imperfect, very broken, very damaged, very fragmented, very insane, nuts, whatever you want to call it, 
drug addicts, broken, diseased, wrecked, whatever. But he, being God, saw something in that. He knew us. He foreknew us. And he said within himself, I can restore that person. I can heal that person. I can deliver that person. I am God. I can do it. I can do it. See, this is from God's own heart. When he bought us, he said, regardless of our condition, I could do this. Now, now I want you to stop and think about that just for a moment. I want you to notice one more thing. I want you to hear the cry of the apostles. I want you to hear this. And then we'll go to Revelation 14 in just a moment. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. What I'm about to read to you is it, it can't just be knowledge. If, if God does not translate this to you, spirit, then you won't understand the depth of what I'm about to share with you. But I want you to consider that regardless of your condition, when God bought you with the blood of his son, in his mind, he saw what he could do in your life to bring you into his image to restore you to that degree. That's phenomenal. The Apostle Paul knew this, and so did the other apostles. They knew. Paul came to an understanding. Oh, the depths and the length and the breadth. Oh, he knew something. And what was that? Galatians 4.19, he cried out, My little children, That's how Paul viewed the church, my little children. And it wasn't an age number thing. It was the maturing of their spirit. And Paul had been so matured by the spirit of God that he was able to father even those who were older than himself. And if they had humility, they would allow that anointing, that maturity to work in their lives. And here's what he says to the church. My little children, my little children, of whom I travail in birth. In other words, there's birth pangs in this. I mean, this is not easy. I travail in birth again until, listen, Christ be formed in you. What did Paul say? I'm travailing. I'm laboring. To see Christ formed in you. Not religion. Christ. What did Paul travail in labor towards? A birthing of Christ in you. The hope of glory. I know that all true ministry of the word of God towards the congregation of God 
is to bring them to the fullness. What does it look like? The next book over in Ephesians chapter 4. Here's what Paul also knew. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. He gave for the perfecting of the saints. Wait a second. Perfecting means maturing, completing. How did God design by his spirit to bring you and I to perfection, to completion, to maturity? Through the gift ministries of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. If there is an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher that is not teaching you this word of God that you could look into it, the perfect law of liberty, if you're not seeing that this is God's purpose for you to be conformed into the image, if you're not seeing that it's all designed to grow you up into the fullness of Christ, then you better be careful who you're allowing into your life to lead you and guide you and teach you. If anybody gives, you know, we had a great example in our Bible study last night over little tiny things. You know, a song said something about this or that and we addressed it and said, you know, it, that could undermine what Jesus actually said. And we thought about it, and it wasn't for, you know, just being rigid in the sense of pharisaical religion. It was more like, hey, be careful that you don't say something or sing something that may take away your responsibility from doing what God calls us to do, because we, those who do are the ones that will produce, right? So, again, he produces the, of, uh, the apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the perfecting, the maturing, the glorification, the completing. Also for the work of the ministry. So these fivefold ministry gifts of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are not only to perfect, produce the glory, the image on the inside, but it's also for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. That's what the fivefold ministry gifts are designed to do. Till, so the, how, how long will the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher gifts be in the earth? Till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, so we need unity of faith, unity of knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, a teleos man in the Greek, crammed to the full, like that blade of, of, of wheat, the, the, the true farmer will know when it can't grow anymore. It's come to fullness. Now he reaps it. And the fivefold ministry is designed in the life of every true believer to bring them to that condition by the Spirit at work in and through their lives. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ.
Is that what you're learning? Are those the anointed five-fold ministry gifts that God has brought you to? Listen, if God predestinated you to be conformed into his image, and then God's way of doing that was through the five-fold ministry of the anointed apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, is it working? He's not changing his mind. This is the way it gets done. Have you submitted yourself to this ministry that is designed by God to bring you up into the fullness of Christ? They are gifted ministries that have an ability to show you the word of God. They cannot do it, these people, these builders, these fivefold ministry gifts. That is done by the Holy Spirit. But in order to get the person in agreement with the Holy Spirit, they have to produce the Word of God and reveal and show the ultimate intent of God, which is not just praying in tongues, laying hands on the sick, prophesying. All that is good, but that's a means to an end. What the true fivefold ministry knows is that it's the image, it's the glorification, the perfecting. And the way that they're anointed is to show the pattern. Paul said he was a wise master builder. He understood what God was after. So he wrote about it in the Bible to make the believer aware of the intent to be conformed into the image, not externally. This has nothing to do with being a male or a female. This has nothing to do with being black or white. This has nothing to do with rich or poor, bond or free. It has nothing to do with that. This work is accomplished by the Spirit of God moving through the anointed fivefold ministry of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, preacher. So the apostolic gifting is not a person. Oh, Joe is... The apostle. And that's not about that. It's the anointing of apostolic ministry in a person. The person is the vessel that the anointing flows through for the purpose of bringing up the individuals to the original intent of God, the destination. And all of it is designed, as the apostle Paul cried and travailed, until Christ be formed in you. That's true five-fold ministry, gifting, and anointing. The church that people go to, is there the anointing of the five-fold ministry at work? Is there a labor, like in labor pain, a travailing, in the life of the ministers to bring you up to the fullness of Christ? Oh, they can't do it. I don't follow men. Well, neither do I, but I recognize the anointing. I know when there's an anointing. I know when there's God-ordained authority. I know that this is God's plan and purpose. So if it's flowing, I'm going. You know what I mean? What is enriching us? What is working in us? What is producing fruitfulness in us? What is conforming us? The Holy Spirit working through the anointed ministries of God revealed in the Word of God. And their labor pains are waiting for the body to come to fullness. They get bent out of shape. People 
The ministers get bent out of shape and frustrated when they see people not producing. Oh, little children in whom I travail. Jesus even looked at the disciples and said, how long? Why do you continue to produce the fruit of a fallen nature? Now, the fivefold ministers, they too are becoming, right? Yes, holy men and women of God become frustrated when the people of God that they're shepherding, pastoring, uh, instilling apostolic doctrine, prophetic, all of it designed to bring them up when they're not doing it. And even Jesus which is the ever-flowing fountain. He's the source of all anointing. He's the apostle. He's the apostle of our profession. He's the prophet. He's the teacher. I get that. He's the source that flows into the ministry, that flows into the body. And he got frustrated with his own disciples because they weren't cooperating. So your pastor gets frustrated if he's a true pastor, bringing you up into the fullness because you're not producing, because you keep producing bad fruit bad conduct, you're still afraid, you're still, you know, not producing the fruit of a new nature, you're still, you know, of course it's a frustration. And I don't want to go any further with that. So what is the good news in this message? The good news in this message is that it's after the tribulation that the Lord's going to send the reaper angels to reap the wheat who have come to fruition. They've been made ripe. A lot of people today think, all right, go through the tribulation. Jesus is going to come, and because I'm a believer, because I'm a Christian, I'm going to be harvested. He's not harvesting those who are not like him. Did I say that? Wait a second. My carnal mind can't go with that. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. My carnal and religious mind will never accept that information. What information? He's not coming for the... Wheat that's become like him? No, he's coming for everybody. Yes, I've been angry. Yes, I've been cheating and lying and fornicating and watching. But, you know, God knows me. Yeah, I'm an unclean vessel. Yeah, I, I don't speak well, and, I, and I, I just let things, you know. But he's coming for me because I believe. That's not what the harvest is about. Mm-mm. He's coming for the elect who have been conformed into the image and are ripe wheat. Have we wasted a lot of time, folks? No. You know, if we don't get reaped, well, there's a couple of things that are going to be happening in this earth, and the Bible actually does predict that there are going to be people that still love Jesus on the earth after the harvest, which we call the coming of the Lord, the dead rise, those alive and remaining be caught up. That's all harvest. The dead that arise are those who out the generations who have produced maturity, fruitfulness. There's a resurrection. There's a translation, a catching up. That's the harvest after the tribulation. But there are those who are truly left behind because they have not produced the fruit. And now what are they here for? We could read about it. But I want to go to Re- Revelation chapter 14. Oh, man, you're messing with my theology. I don't mean to. I'm not a theologian. Okay? But I know how to read, and I thank God for the Holy Spirit. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, 
And you should notice that Revelation 14 is the chapter after Revelation 13, which is the chapter that deals with the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. The mark of the beast, all that stuff, Revelation 13. I like the chronological order of scripture, and we're, 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 we're working things out. But Revelation 14, 14, and I looked, and behold, this is after the tribulation of Revelation 13. And you can read Revelation 13, and read Revelation 14, and you can see the order of things. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. There he is, in the clouds again. How is the Lord going to return? In the clouds. So I, 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 I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. So he's got a sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle. Now, a sickle is a, har- is a reaping tool for the harvest. He says, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time is come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The harvest is ripe. The wheat is ripe. Now, what is the sickle in the hand of the Son of Man in the cloud? We know what it is. He that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. That, uh, that is, he sent the angels. The angels were the sickle that reaped the ripe harvest. There it is. That happens in the resurrection. That happens in the, trans, uh, the transformation or the, the transition, the, the translation. They call it a rapture. Okay, this is... Being caught up, the harpazo, it's everything that Matthew said, Mark said, Luke said, Thessalonians said. I mean, it's the scriptures, what it says. And here it is. And it says, the earth was reaped because the harvest was ripe. Did he reap the earth or did he reap the people that came up out of the earth, out of the tombs, out of the earth that were here and were translated in a moment? The twinkling of an eye were changed in a moment into glorified bodies. They were changed from bodies of death into bodies that can never die. What is that? It's the harvest of the wheat at the end of the age. This follows Revelation 13. Now, there's another harvest immediately after that harvest. Now, imagine this. You've just gone through the tribulation. You have grown up through the trials and the pressures and the suffering and the persecution, whatever. Whatever God has allowed to come into your life to grow you up. And you've heard through the fivefold ministry that that's the end goal. That's the end game for believers to be conformed into the image. So you got that. Now, all of a sudden, the tribulation is over. The trumpet sounds. You get harvested. The dead rise. You're brought up to meet the Lord in the air, to be with him. You've been reaped. Now the earth, there's people still on the earth. And what happens? In verse 17 of Revelation 14, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle saying, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. And cast it into the great winepress 
of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse bridles by the space of 1,600 furlongs. Whoa, the winepress. What is that winepress? Well, chapter 15 is just a pause in the pangs in the book of Revelation. Chapter 16 tells us the seven vials of the wrath of God. And what did he say here? It said right there, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Chapter 16 of Revelation is the seven vials of the wrath of God, which is going to hit the earth. But a funny thing happens. At that time, after the tribulation, after the resurrection and the harpazo, the catching away, that's already happened in the first harvest. In this harvest, there's somebody standing there in, in the, enduring the wrath of God. And it literally says, and I, I believe it's here, and keep your garments clean, um, Euphrates, and I saw them spirits. In chapter 16, it says in verse 15, during the wrath of God being poured out, blessed, or he says, behold, I come as a thief. So there's another coming of the Lord, and that's in Revelation 19. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So there are going to be, during the wrath of God being poured out, there are going to be saints that are told to keep their garments. Isn't it interesting? In Revelation 3, he said, behold, I come as a thief. Watch your garments to the church in Sardis. They didn't watch. They, did, they missed. And now they're still here. And have another chance to get it right. You want to read it? We can study it. To the church in Sardis, he said, they, they, they kept their garments clean. They walked with me in white. The others were admonished. If you don't walk with me, I'm coming as a thief, and I'm going to steal your name out of the book of life. You're going to miss the first resurrection. You're going to miss the translation, the harpazo. But now during the wrath of God, after the harpazo and the resurrection and the, the, the worthy saints are with God, these are now walking, and they're admonished again. Keep your robes. I'm coming as a thief. Keep your garments, lest you walk naked and they see your shame. This is an opportunity before the end. My goodness. And when does the Lord come in Revelation 19? Read it. After the destruction of Babylon, after the destruction of mystery, after the wrath of God is poured out on the earth which produces the destruction of mystery and Babylon, Revelation 17 and 18. So I leave that with you to think about it. I want to go back to the beginning, what it's all about. From the economy of God, from the mind of God, which is the most important thing for us, is that we become. By the power of his spirit, by the anointed gifts in our lives, we become. That's our destination. And God has predestinated us to be, so he's going to produce the power to get it done. The question is, have we been wasting time playing religious games and not observing our own conduct? Maybe we've been observing everybody else's conduct and excluding ourselves. 
Maybe we've been judging and criticizing and pointing fingers at everybody else, finding fault, but we have neglected to examine ourselves. I don't know about you. I see the signs of the times everywhere. I believe the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth is coming. And all I know is that right after that tribulation, there's a harvest. I want to be a part of that harvest. I don't want to stick around while everybody else left and have to walk through the wrath of God coming on this earth, the destruction of Mystery Babylon, and and then, again, being told, watch your garments. Maybe at that second coming in Revelation 19, when the Lord returns to set up his kingdom, maybe I'm going to access that. But there's another warning. I'll come as a thief. I don't want to miss that harvest. Yeah, but Pastor Vincent, you're saying that we don't get to go to heaven if we're not perfect? Heaven is not your destination. The thief on the cross died, and he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Are there different levels of heaven? Paul caught up to the third heaven. Is there a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, a twelfth, a twenty, a thirty, forty, fifty? I mean, how many levels of heaven are there? Is there a level of heaven where there are people before the throne of God and there are people that are in the throne of God? Yes. Are there different levels? Is there a place called paradise? Are there, is there a place where they're before the throne? He wipes away their eyes. He, he's among them. But then there are people that sit in the throne as overcomers, judging the nations. Are there different levels? Is there a bride that's intimate with the bridegroom? Are there levels? Are there degrees? Are there the harvest he's coming for is the fruit of his likeness. And that is what will be one natured with him. You want a cabin by the river in old Baptist glory? Maybe. I don't know. Is there a place called paradise that thieves on crosses who confess Jesus go to? Yep. Absolutely. Is that the intent of God, that that man went to paradise? Was that God's intent? Nope. His intent for all creation is to bring it back to glory. Because the creation of God was originally created in the image and likeness of God. And because of sin and the devil, that image was marred and lost. So he brought his firstborn son in his exact image to bring that image back into the life of people through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and through the anointed ministries that God has given to the church as a gift. Discipline, discipleship, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, yielding to the Spirit of God, taking up your cross daily, denying yourself. All these things are part of the journey. The song we were singing last night was, Jesus bore our cross. And I simply said, no, he didn't. He bore his cross so that we might come to him. But he said, we are to bear our own cross. And so by singing the song, he bore my cross, it takes away my responsibility from taking up my cross daily. And that's what he said to do. Die to self daily. I can't do it. I would get into religious pride to think that I can do anything. And you're talking to a kid 39 years ago was an absolute wreck and was not fixed overnight. 
dealt with issues of abandonment, rejection, deep, deep brokenness. So it would be religious pride to think that I did anything. I have done nothing to deserve anything. I didn't even choose God. He chose me. I did nothing. All I know is that he taught me by an apostle. My true pastor was an apostle. These scriptures, this word, the depth, the breadth, the length, and God has given me the grace to see these things and to share them. I just wonder sometimes how they're being received. And so maybe to understand, let's have a conversation. Tribulation, persecution, suffering, all designed by God to produce what he's looking for. Again, the book of Acts. Through much tribulation, we enter into the kingdom. The kingdom is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a conduct. It's a character. This is what your calling as a Christian is all about. It's not all about going to heaven. It's about a work that's going on in you. In Ephesians chapter 2, we are his workmanship. And he's ready to unveil the work on the inside. How much love do we really possess? I, you know, I get challenged. I see Don Lemon on CNN, and I listen to what he says and what he does, and I get, man, on my challenge. My wife says, pray for him. i got to pray for him. And I will, and I will continue to pray. But, man, it, it, it's okay to hate what is evil. The Bible says we could do it. Um, Jesus took a whip. I mean, thank God there's a little outreach here. We're not pretending, okay, but we can't allow human nature aggravation to take the place of divine nature frustration with evil, okay? It's got to work perfectly. Your thoughts. The number to call, 818-369-0326. Uh, I, again, Brian, Kathy, never called in. I see nothing on my text message. I see nothing in the chat room. Um, they told me the only way they would not join us was by a power outage in their third world country where they are. Maybe that happened. Obviously, it did. There wasn't even an attempt. So uh, maybe Friday we'll bring them back. Tomorrow, I'm having a guest speaker join me on the air. He's a friend of mine. Never met him face-to-face, but boy, did we do a lot of radio in the past, and that is Brother Chris King is going to be joining us. He comes from the West Coast, uh, the Northwest Coast of the United States. He's got a message. It cuts. It cuts deep. It cuts real, um, and it's graced by God's love and anointing. So he's going to be joining me on the air today or tomorrow, and um, I'd love to hear from you right now. 818-369-0326. I guess the first question I want to ask you, for those of you who've been with me from the beginning of the broadcast, do you believe what, I, what has just been shared? Is there a but? Is there a maybe? Is there a misunderstanding? Because if there's a lack of understanding about what you just heard, the birds of the air are going to come and steal it out of your mind. So if you don't understand something, let's ask. Let's talk. I'll bring 50 people on so we can all have a big discussion. Did Second question, with what I just shared to you, did it condemn you? Did you feel condemned by what you heard? Because maybe you weren't wasting time or something. Was it, oh, I wasn't thinking that. Or were you convicted? Which means that with the knowledge of the truth, even though you may not have been in it, it produced a desire to go into the truth. That's conviction. That's what conviction does. 
It doesn't condemn you. It doesn't beat you up. It convicts you and encourages you to want to go forward. Is that happening? 818-369-0326. I guess God really wanted this message out there for exploration, conversation, fellowship, breaking bread. And now the final question. Do you want, do you desire? Is there a desire in you? Because only God would have put that desire in you. It says in Philippians that it's even God that wills in us to do good. So is there a spiritual desire, a hunger, a thirst for righteousness? Is there an internal desire you have to be like Jesus? I want to be like Jesus in nature, in intelligence, in wisdom, in love. I want to, I want to be like him. Because if you don't even have that desire, then I question whether or not the Holy Spirit has literally come into your life to perform the predestinated work of God's heart. Do you get frustrated with yourself when you blow it? Do you, are you quick to repent and say, no, I don't want to do it that way? Are you hungry? Do you want it to happen? God, change me. Change me. Not them. See, and this is really important because the times we're living in, which Jesus said you could discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the times, and he called them hypocrites. He wants us to understand what time it is. But that for us should be an acceleration of the desire to become more like him quickly, to wrap things up that have been lingering, to get rid of stuff that's just been hanging around, useless, to cleanse our conscience from dead works. And if we don't get encouraged from one another, if we don't encourage one another, I'm trying to think of the last time somebody encouraged me to go for it in what I'm talking about right now. I can't remember, except my wife every day, Patricia. Every day she encourages me to go on to the highest heights. If you're in a church, if you're in fellowship, you're in ecclesia, and you have koinonia, Fellowship, this should be the conversation. This should be the discussion. I'm going to tell you something right now. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. However, there are things we are to do because of the signs of the times we're supposed to be preparing. You is perfect balance. But even in our preparation, there should be this that we've talked about this morning. Isn't there someone that once said, know thyself? Know thyself? I want to ask you a fourth question. Do you know you? Do you know the flaws? Do you know the corruption? Do you know the blind spots? Are you aware of you? The Holy Spirit lives on the inside to reveal to us what needs to be known. When we read the Bible, it reveals to us, as we look in the perfect law of liberty, the things that are not free. 
or liberated. It helps us to see. The people around your life who are not your critics, but are there because they love you and desire the very best for you. They want you to get to this fullness. Do they have access to you to speak into your heart, to speak into your life? Do you allow it? Or do you have a wall and you're not going to tell me anything? Or pride, you can't tell me anything. Because these things are important and necessary to the end. And I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm just going to keep talking because I haven't gotten any calls yet, and that's okay. I'm thinking that the majority of people today, in our generation particularly, I don't think it's always been this way. I could go back to the 1940s and 50s where they were preaching holiness. I think most people today that are Christians just want to get this thing done with, wrapped up, and go to heaven. Or, you know, go buy a new car, buy a new house, get a new spouse, whatever the case may be. I don't really think they're very interested. But I don't know. Just observation. Songs are beautiful. Oh, you should have heard our worship last night. We broke out, and thank God, in prophetic worship where... Uh, our brother that was leading the worship says God took over, and he certainly did. And we broke out for this moment in worship. Oh, my gosh. And it opened the door to be able to minister the word of God easier. But that's not enough. Songs that make me feel good, songs that, you know, they're important. They're intrinsic. They're life-giving. They help us. But they are not an end in themselves. Prophetic worship that breaks out in sanctuaries must serve to the confirmation into the image. I don't think there's anything else to say today. Let's go through some of our comments on our chat room today. And we had first up Melissa Fletcher. Good morning, Pastor Melissa. I'd like to pick your brain about what you heard today. You got a very good gift of God on you. Terry Shannon, good morning. Brenda Torville and Maria or Marissa and company. Blessings to all members of New uh, New Vincent Xavier, New Wine Ministry, a great leader you have. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. That's so kind. Cindy Messman, good morning. Uh, Charlotte Gotch, good morning. Good morning to our sisters there. Uh, Kevin Hauger, good morning all. Brenda Torville, good morning. Um, Terry Shannon is going to speak into this. So good morning to all of the, our sisters in the Lord out there. God bless you. We're so happy you're tuning in. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Terry Shannon says, the tares can be known better as a darnel, i.e. a plant. It looks like a wheat taste. It looks like a wheat, tastes like a wheat, and the unlearned thinks it that they are wheat. But it is poisonous plant, like the planted professing Christian, and can actually kill some weak Christians. Google Darnell definition. In the days of kings and wheat farming, the enemy would sow the wheat fields with the Darnell plant. Then they just wait till the people ate the wheat and became sick. Then they too, let's see, he had a further comment. He, okay, so that was the end of it. Then they would do something else. We'll find that. Great teaching right there, man. That's huge, Terry. Thank you for sharing that. Huge. Joyce Young, good morning. Good morning, Joyce. God bless you. Jody Keene, our dear friends in Sarasota. Hello. God bless you. Look forward to meeting you all both again, you and Richard. 
Jody says, follow his cloud, move only when he moves. I agree with that. Autumn Nichols, Marla, Marla, Art D. Curtis. I don't know what that means. Terry Shannon, he called you, chose you, and made you faithful. Yeah, it's all him. He's doing all the work, no doubt. Because he knew you would come to him because the foundation of the world, from the foundation. Amen and amen. Uh, Jody Keene says, hooking a 24-year-old fish. A soul right now, please, for Matthew. Okay, we will pray for Matthew. If he chooses to follow God, Satan will be mad because Matthew will be a modern-day Peter. All right, right now, Father, save Matthew's heart. Let them reel him in and let him be saved and understand the journey ahead of him. And may it be a tasteful journey to be conformed and become a new person in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul is with us this morning. Paul, Jack. Good morning, Pastor. Good morning, Paul. Can't wait to see you. God bless you. What a testimony of miracles in your life. Brenda Torville gave us an amen. She gave us a wow. Salvador Saglimbini gives us an amen. Brenda Torville says, truth. Brenda says, thank you, Pastor. You're welcome, Brenda. Brenda says, yes, yes, yes. Shirley Wolseley, thank you for bringing the word daily. It keeps me hungering for more. I want to be like him. God bless you, Shirley. Dennis, Pastor Denny, O'Daly, it must be done, taking up the cross. Brenda Torville, well said, says truth. Pastor Kevin Honeycutt, good morning, Pastor. Kevin Honeycutt, I need you to survive. That touches my heart. Thank you for that. I don't know if that was a direct, I just took it as a direct from Pastor Kevin. I need you to survive. You know what? That word is spoken to everybody that heard this broadcast today. That's that's the heart of God right there. I need you to survive the Holocaust of what's coming on this earth. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you're not separated from he that is in you. You're integrated into him, and he's integrated into you in that new nature, that divine nature. You can win this race. You could pass every test. You can overcome, and you could be harvested as a ripe wheat. God loves you, saints. It's just what he desires and what he wants to do in our lives. Praise the Lord. Direct connect. Thank you, Jesus. All right, well, that's it, folks. I think we are done. It's 1043. Tomorrow we'll be interviewing Brother uh, Chris King. You're not going to want to miss that. It'll cut deep. (laughs) It'll it'll cut deep. All right. And then Friday, it looks like we'll have, hopefully, our dear missionary friends, Brian and Kathy. Till we meet again, have a super blessed day. I pray this word ministered to you. For those of you who would like to support this ministry financially, you can do it by sending a check, cash, money order, as some people say, gold or silver, to P.O. Box 100. That's P.O. Box 100. Decatur, Arkansas. All you do is put P.O. Box 100, take the zip code 72722, and you'll find all the rest of the information and all gifts and giving go to New Wine Ministry. Just let us know what is there. If you want to do it online, you could go to the omegaradio.org website. That's www.omegaradio.org and go to the donate tab, or you can go to nwmglobal.org. Those are our two websites, NWM, standing for New Wine Ministry, nwmglobal.org, 
Or you could go to, there's another way to do that. For those that would like to minister to giving, uh, you can do that by texting. Here it is right there. You could text on your phone 41088. The number is 41088 Omega. That's it. Just type that in and then type in the word give and it'll walk you through the process. 41088 Omega. Type in the word give and it'll do the rest. I want to thank everybody for supporting our ministry with prayers, with love, with your support, and with your financial support as well. We appreciate every single bit of it, and we just want to get the word out fur as it'll go. Did I say fur? I meant to say further and far, and that came out as fur. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Shalom, everybody. Have a super blessed and wonderful day, and go for the high calling. Amen.